0: father we just want to thank you lord for this wonderful morning that you've given us thank you for uh, our gathering lord thank you that we can gather online uh, you're making it possible lord jesus for us to uh, unite and stay in touch with uh, you and one another lord. as a fellowship thank you lord jesus for both our english and hindi services lord we are so grateful to you lord we believe that we serve a god who turns things around you nothing is impossible for you lord jesus we believe you will turn things around for us And in our lives for our good, Lord Jesus. You will uh, turn our mourning into dancing. You will turn our sorrows into joy. You will turn our curses into blessings, Lord Jesus. You will take away our sackcloth and give us robes of righteousness. Hallelujah. We believe those verses, Lord, that say that and that pronounce that, Lord. Jesus, we we receive it, Lord. We pray as we turn to your word, you will continue to speak to us, Lord, this morning. And um, may you enlighten our hearts to love you, Lord Jesus. And to serve you and give you our very best, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. So, just a quick uh, recap. Of not going to take too long. We're looking at holiness, and we are looking at the Nazarite vow. We're looking. At, we've looked at three aspects of the Nazarite vow. When God forbade the Nazarites to partake in uh, the, the grape juice, that's alcohol, associating with the dead and not cutting hair, it uh, implied three aspects, which are reiterated in the New Testament which is appetite, appearance, and association. We've already looked at appetite and appearance in detail. We've looked at association last Sunday. If you remember, uh, we were examining why God said uh, not to associate. And we've looked at how it is important for Christians who are in the world, we're all in the world, right, to purify ourselves, right? This verse we looked at, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Remember the two degrees? No, we don't want to digress and go away because that can lead to catastrophic um, accidents. So we've got to be careful and be uh, live and be rooted in God. This morning and on 20th, um, we're going to look at another important subject which is associated with association. So even though I conclude my message here uh, on 20th, again, I'm going to preach on a little more on advancing the gospel. You know, something that uh, has been so challenging, not just for us, but for all the Christians across the globe, you know, advancing the gospel has had totally new meaning uh, with travel restrictions and not associating with people. How do we advance the gospel? So the how we are going to look at on the 20th and some exciting stories lined up there. And today we are going to look at the why, the why uh, do we need to advance the gospel You know, and uh, it's an integral part of association especially we see in the new testament uh, the, the gospel writers and the storytellers they they were associating with people with the intention of uh, bringing the good news to those who don't have it so it's great to be together as a church and and you know, associate with one another and have a great fellowship time and that's important but we have a mission brothers and sisters and the mission is to advance the gospel Despite these challenging times, that's why we're going to look at the why. So, let me start with the story the story of Moses. Okay, and I think most of us have heard the Moses story, especially the time when Moses encounters God. And it's a brilliant story. It's a story uh, where Moses is 80 years old and uh, he's going through the rigmarole of life. He's gone far off to a land called Midian and he's married a Midianite girl. Uh, his father-in-law is a Midianite priest and um, he's caring for his father's uh, flock. That's his job. You know, he carries a staff, which obviously means that he's not like ably, fully able to walk. It was a mark that he was uh, getting old, you know, not fragile, but old. And then one day he sees a sight. The site is of a bush on fire. Now, let me tell you, scholars say that was not a unique sight. Bushes caught fire all the time in these kind of places. But what was unique about this bush was it was a burning bush. Now, usually when something catches fire, imagine a page, a page, you set it on fire. How many seconds would it take for the page to uh, get burned? Right? Like I'm talking about A4. I think around 10 seconds, right? max 10 seconds. In 10 seconds, the whole page will get burned. Now, the unique thing about this bush was it wasn't getting burnt. So Moses must have seen, taken a glancing, oh, this bush is on fire. That's a common sight. Then he looked again and said, wait a minute. How come this page is burning for five minutes and then seven minutes and 10 minutes? So that is what caught his attention. And that's why, you know, uh, the, the, the key is not just the bush burning. It continued to burn. It continued to burn. And this seemed very weird to Moses. So he approaches the bush. He goes near the bush. As he goes near the bush, he hears a voice. Now, this is very important to our story today. What does he hear? This is what God says. Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. God says to him, then the Lord said, so this is probably the first time Moses is hearing God. And look at what he says. Do not come near. That's like typical Old Testament. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing... Is holy ground. Now Moses is like boss. This is my my field. I come here every day. How come suddenly this ground has become holy. I will tell you how. Right. But this is what God instructs Moses. He says the ground you are standing. As you approach me. The ground you are standing is holy. And so what do you do? You remove your sandals. Interestingly this is not the only story. Where sandals are removed. Another story appears in Joshua five, where Joshua is about to take Jericho. In fact, the, the as soon as five ends here, after this story, verse six, uh, in the next chapter six will start with Joshua and the Israelites conquering Jericho. So he's about to t- take on Jericho, and he's probably preparing, thinking his mind is preoccupied with, uh, you know, what do we do? God has given us a strategy. We've got to walk around, how to keep people's faith going. All of that, you know, the usual leadership challenges, and suddenly he sees this person. Now, this person is probably a human being, come in a human form, uh, you know. So Joshua asks him, "He says, and this this man has a sword, a sharp, big sword, and he's there in front of Joshua. And Joshua's thinking, is this guy on my side, or is it easy on the enemy's side? So Joshua asks him, he says." Hey, listen, are you are you for me? Are you against me? What are you? And the reply is this. The commander of the Lord's army replied. So he introduces him. He says, I am the I'm not on your side, dude. You're on my side. That's basically what you're saying. You know, you see, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And now listen to this carefully. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals again. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy is it interesting you know whether it is exodus 3 or many many years later that that could be nearly a 400 500 years later you know so we know moses started his journey in exodus 3 and then there is like exodus leviticus numbers you me joshua and so it's a lot of time has passed by a lot of time and it's like deja vu and it god comes again and he says hey listen two things you've got to do you know so Moses bows down, Joshua bows down, Just says, Take off your sandals, remove your sandals uh, because the place where you're standing is holy. My question, then, brothers and sisters, is what does the Bible mean when it refers to holy ground? What does it mean? You know, now we've all, uh, I think many of us who've been um worshippers earlier of some other god, other deity, uh, we've we've removed our shoes, you remember, right? Even in India today. People remove their shoes. One is, of course, cleanliness. But one is also uh, the, the logic behind it is not just cleanliness, but like you're walking into something that is clean. So outside is unclean and you're walking into something clean. And usually if you're walking into a temple, then there's definitely a protocol. You can never wear shoes and walk into a uh, temple. So here God is giving us some insight. He tells Moses, he said this to Joshua, the place where you are standing is holy ground. So the question is, what makes the ground holy? Well, very simple. It is the presence of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So the field that Moses walked around day in, day out for 40 years, nearly 40 years, suddenly that place became holy is because now God's presence was there. Is this making sense to you, right? It is God's presence. When the presence of God comes onto a ground, Let's start with that premise. Uh, on ground, that ground becomes holy. Similarly, when God's presence comes into a person, the person becomes holy. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Look at what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 say, As he who called you is holy. Now listen, we were unholy beings, but God called us and we became holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written You shall be holy for I am holy. Amen. Amen. Now, just to let you know, in the Old Testament, there were some things that defiled a person. You understand defiling, right? Defiling means making you impure. What were those things? If you read the Old Testament carefully, you will notice four things in particular, in particular that defiled an Israelite. One was dead bodies. So whether a Nazirite or not, or not, The moment you came in contact with anything dead, whether it was a dead animal or a carcass or your own relatives, uh, you know, uh, dead bodies meant that you became unclean. Then you had some protocols to follow, some rules to follow before you became clean. There were certain foods and that's why we've looked at appetite and association and appearance, right? There were certain foods that were non-kosher. So certain kinds of food, when you ate it, you became impure. There were diseases that made, uh, that made a person impure. As soon as they had disease, discharge, all that thing, you have to go outside the camp, get well, come back. You know all the drill, right? It's all there in the Old Testament. And another thing that defiled a person was association. The moment uh, uh, an Israelite, later Jews, when they came in contact with anyone who was non-Jew, they felt that this person would defile me, right? Right? That is why people were so hung up about not interacting with Samaritans or how they treated Gentiles, because they felt the moment we come uh, in association with their, them, even if a shadow of their walk passes over you, you they would they would feel we are defiled, and that's why the Jews were such you know they had this theory of we are a special race, we cannot mingle with others, uh, otherwise we will get defiled. For mankind, for mankind, what defiles us? I think the answer is simple: it's sin, right? The moment we come in contact with sin, we get defiled. I mean, look at children; they are so innocent, so cute when they are small, right? And then slowly, slowly, they they just you know you, you see their progress. They start getting stubborn. They start getting arrogant. They are disobedient, and you slowly begin to see uh, sin grow in their life. And then you know, oh, they are no more innocent. And as H catches up, the innocence goes out of the window, right? Uh, the I in the innocence comes between S and N in the sin. So that, that's, that's the usual thing. But this is what happens. How many of you won't canvas shoes in your school? Yeah, oh, quite a few people. Wonderful. Because we had, we had canvas compulsory uh, on, uh, on our sports day, you know, whichever was our sports day. Every, every class had a different sports day. I think ours was for a long time Thursday. We had two periods, two sports periods. And on that day, we had to wear canvas. Other days, we had to wear black shoes. But on that day, we had to wear canvas shoes. And I remember mom teaching us how how to polish canvas shoes. You use chalk and you use those cream and liquid and all of that. And the picture that you have in front of you, that's how it happened to me. So in the morning, the shoes looked like what it is appearing on your left. And then... This is how it was at the end of the day. You know, it it came, the, the beautiful white shoe came in contact with the ground, dust, and everything that comes with it, you know, rainy season, whatever. And then at the end of the day, it looked totally impure, totally impure. And that's the logic. See, the logic is, if anything pure comes in contact with the impure, the obvious is it becomes impure, right? We all understand this math. Right? Anything pure that comes in contact with impure, the pure becomes impure. You know, So like you, you have good milk and then you have uh, milk that is spoiled. You add a little bit of uh, the spoiled milk into the good milk and it will spoil the uh, good milk. Right, But something else happened. So that was the logic in the Old Testament. Pure coming in contact with impure makes pure impure. It, But then comes the book of Isaiah. Now, this is very interesting because uh, there is going to be something extraordinary that's going to happen here. And uh, it happened in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is such a landmark uh, chapter, right? In those 66 books of Isaiah. So this is what happens. Isaiah chapter 6, I'm reading the first three verses. This is Isaiah who's talking. So it's, it's the author who's saying, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Wow. His glory filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Now, if you don't know what's a seraphim, let me tell you. It is the highest ranked angel in the Christology. So, in, in those who read the Bible, it's the highest ranked angel. Which means after God, if there is anyone who is powerful in terms of the angelic world, it is the seraphim, right? And then comes the cherubim and the other teraphim, the other angels. You know? uh, if there is anyone who's higher than seraphim, then it could be the archangel. So uh, seraphim is the kind of an angel. Angels have degrees. So in the Jewish um, logic, seraphim rates fifth. Uh, fifth topmost. So this is what it says. I'll continue the passage. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. So there were more than one so one is called seraph and two are called seraphim so each had wings with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet and with two he flew wow imagine six wings okay. uh, I, i'll kill for one but uh, two to six wings is like lots of wings and then it says and one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory is not that beautiful what a sight to behold you know, imagine a huge, massive creature with six wings, two of them, and uh, they're flying and they are covering their head, their face and their feet and uh, saying to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, if you see such a vision, you know, uh, this is how Isaiah responded. Woe to me. He realizes he's in the presence of a holy God. He says, woe to me. hi hai mujh par. You know, I woe to me. I cried. I am ruined. Wait. What happened? Why is he is he is he very dramatic as a person? No. You look at what he says. He says, For I am a man of unclean lips. Basically, saying, I'm a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He says, What have I done? I, who am so impure, have come into the presence of someone who is so pure, so holy. Right? So Isaiah is wondering now what's going to happen? The logic is when pure comes in contact with the impure, the pure becomes impure. But now he's come in the presence of God, who is the most purest uh, being, uh, you know, in, in the whole of universe. Now this is what happens. Watch, watch this. This is going to be very exciting now. Verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. So he took the tong, he picked up a coal, And this is a life-burning coal, life-burning coal. With it, he touched my mouth, precisely lips. He'll say that later. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, you see, something unique and extraordinary has happened in the book of Isaiah. Earlier, when the pure came in contact with the impure, the pure became impure. But now something unique has happened. Hear this carefully. Now the pure has come in contact with the impure. And instead of the pure becoming impure, the impure has become pure. Am I making sense here? Right? Are we understanding? Okay, so here is this coal that has come. Now, what is so special about the coal? I'll tell you. The coal has come and touched Isaiah's lips, okay, which is basically just a metaphor for life. His lips. His lips are unclean. He's a sinful man, probably lies and betrayal and whatnot. It's touched his lips. Burning, right? Hot stuff. But what has it done? It's made his life, his lips clean. So this is something very special about this cold. My friends, it is the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. It's a metaphor for the blood of Jesus. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus walked on earth and he touched people. He touched everything that was unclean. Everything he touched the Gentiles, he touched food and he pronounced them, you know, clean. He touched uh, people with disease, deadly diseases, and he even touched the dead on more than one occasion. Right? He touched the dead, um, and every time the pure touched the impure, it was the impure that became pure. Amen. The blood of Jesus, look at this verse 1 John 1 7. The blood of Jesus purifies us. From all sin, can I hear an amen? Hallelujah. The blood of Jesus is so pure, so pure that even our impure lives get purified because we have come in contact with Jesus. Amen, My friends, who is the burning coal today? It is none other than Jesus. Hey, hallelujah, It is not we, It's not we, It is Jesus. No, we are the ones who are taking uh, the coal to others and saying, listen, Your life may be as rotten as you can imagine. And so was mine. But this is what God did. He gave me a touch of Jesus. Jesus came and touched me. Jesus touched my life when I put my faith in him. And there I am. Today I am holy. I am pure. And I shudder to even say those words. But that is the truth. The truth is Jesus has touched me. And now I am a new person in Jesus. Hallelujah. Look at this beautiful verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says, for God's will, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Hallelujah, once and for all, Jesus has made us holy. God has made us holy when he sent his son Jesus for us. And if we believe in him with all our heart and mind, and soul we, we become holy amen amen now this is what happened in the day of pentecost imagine a life coal, right we, we said that the life coal came and touched isaiah and now jesus was alive and he was touching people here and there but then he died he rose again and he um you know, went to heaven he ascended back to heaven so there was the resurrection and the ascension then uh, a few days later 40 to be precise came the day of Pentecost. But what happened on the day of Pentecost? Something like this happened, right? There were tongues of fire. Again, going back to the time of Moses' burning bush, you know, there were tongues of fire that came and they rested on uh, pe- on the people who had gathered, 120 to be precise. Acts chapter 2 verse 3 says, they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And there was God once again touching people with his fire. Hallelujah. Burning coal, burning bush. And here it is, the burning fire. And God is touching people, not only making them pure, but empowering them. Empowering them. For what? For ministry. To go and spread the good news of Jesus. And that is exactly what they did. They were not meant to have tongues of fire. Please take a selfie. And I'm going to upload this image or instagram and say have you seen this this is not a trick i tried no this is not some hack this is real i've got tons of fire watch it watch it oh whoa, whoa, whoa. no 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 they were meant to be they, they were anointed by god hallelujah and empowered by god to go ahead and spread the good news. my friends here is the burning coal who's the burning coal today it is jesus but we are the seraphs and we take this coal in a tong or your hand whatever we take it through the gospel. As we continue to share the gospel with people, brothers and sisters, we will look at more of the how on the 20th. But understand, God has chosen us even in this season. God has chosen us. He's not sending the seraphs now to come and you know touch people's lives with cold. He's given us this responsibility now. We are to take Jesus to people. And Jesus is the only hope that people have from turning their impure lives into pure lives hallelujah we spoke of turning around that is what jesus does he turns things around for us he takes what is impure touches it and he doesn't become impure the impure becomes pure hallelujah hallelujah amen 1 john chapter 3 verse 18 this is where i'm going to end with a story 1 john chapter 3 verse 18 it says dear children let's not merely say That we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. This is a beautiful verse. Uh, The the entire theme of 1 John is love. right? It's rooted in love. But it's not just reminding us of God's love, which is predominant in that chapter in in the book. But it says, now that God has loved you and you've experienced God's love, it is now our responsibility to show love through actions. Hallelujah. We've got to show this love and spread this love to the others and so I'm going to tell you the story of a lawyer. I will like the story but she is one and uh, this is a story that occurred in the 1930s somewhere around that time when India was still under British rule and uh, what the British had done one one good thing in India was the railways Of course, they did it for their own selfish means but it served as well that right? we're still using them and uh, these were these were trains that uh, traveled across india and so it so happened that uh, what was uh, again history tells us this is something uh, that's not very exciting news but you know the train would stop at a station only if a britisher had to climb in or get down if there was no britisher alighting or boarding the train would become slow but it would not stop the engine driver felt you know this is different ways of colonial a mindset, you know. So that, that you know how they are. So yeah, how they were in those days. So it was just a colonial mindset to just tell you once again, remind you that you're a slave. Why do I stop for you? you know? So if there is a British getting down, fine, the train halts and they get down or they board. But if they were not, they just go slow and you want to get in, you get in, or who cares? You know? So what would happen is as soon as so there was this one train that was passing by, there was this lawyer with many, many other people who were waiting to get on on the train. Now, it so happened that in the rush, because the train was in motion, it was moving, this lawyer's shoe fell off. One shoe. As soon as he got in, his one shoe fell off in the tracks, between the tracks. And what does he do? He quickly removed his other shoe and threw it between the tracks. There was a man who was watching him, and he said, hey, what have you just done, idiot? Shoes are so costly. You know, I mean, you know, most Indians were barefoot, uh, barefooted in those days. Very few wore sandals, and shoes was a luxury. It was actually a luxury. You know, the, only the Britishers and the elite wore it. So, the, so this man who was the onlooker said to this lawyer, he said, "What have you done? Why have you thrown away this shoe?" And the response of the lawyer was very interesting. He said, "You know what? I can't wear one shoe." I can't wear that one shoe. In fact, if I keep this shoe, it will keep bothering me. I'll keep thinking about it. I'll keep thinking about my loss. But imagine if that one shoe that fell, if someone found it, he also can't do anything with that one shoe. So the reason I threw the second is because I can't get down now and pick that one. But I hope that the one who finds the lost shoe will also find the second shoe and he will be blessed. This was the theory of this man. Today, we know this man as Mohandas Karanjan Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi. This was Gandhi's story. This is Gandhi's strange story. His story in South Africa is more famous. This is a lesser known story. But it's a beautiful story, brothers and sisters. And what it does teach you about the man and his philosophy is his heart of giving. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to give. Amen. When we spread the good news, when you share Jesus with someone, Understand, it's an opportunity to give. And the biblical principle of giving is it is more blessed to give than to receive. So yes, we've received Jesus in our lives. And we are extremely grateful to God for that. But now the onus is on us to share Jesus. Even when you say to someone, I want to pray for you. Can I pray? Can I bless you? Can I pronounce a blessing over you? Whether it is material, whether it is prayer, whether it is um encouraging someone this is all different ways of sharing the gospel when you bring jesus as the good news in different form to people you are sharing the good news this is what jesus said to his people jesus said go and do like likewise where is this story come uh, This story appears in luke chapter 10 when jesus is talking about the good samaritan it's a beautiful story isn't it you know we all know that we know what is interesting in that story are there are quite a few things that are interesting. One of the things is if Jesus wanted to talk only about helping, he would have said there was a man, a traveler who got hard on time and uh, robbers attacked him and uh, they beat him half dead. And then a Samaritan came and, you know, cared for him. That's it. If the point was just care. But do you know that before the Samaritan, two others came? One was a priest and the other was a Levite. Now, why did Jesus mention these two characters? You know, Jesus' storytelling skills are so good. He never mentions anything without a reason. This is called the pattern of comparison, which you see so often in parables. You'll always see Jesus using this, this pattern. This was Jesus' style. So he would say there are four kinds of ground. There were three servants. There was a Pharisee and the tax collector. No, You, you see, there were there were 10 virgins, five foolish, five wise. Jesus would always compare In his parables and the point he was making here in the parable of the Samaritan was this. There were two people who were employed by the temple. These were men who were supposed to be holy. These were men who were supposed to be commissioned by God. And yet both both of them turned their heads. This was a subtle hint, maybe not so subtle. It was a clear hint to the Jews that you guys claim to be the holy race. But listen, you are not caring for those who are hurting. You are not caring for those who are perishing. Here was a Samaritan. The Samaritan Jews hated Samaritan. They thought the last person to be a hero is a Samaritan. And here was a Samaritan Oh, Jesus said, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Samaritan. What matters is, do you care? And he asked this question in the end, who was the good neighbor? Who was a neighbor and the people say, the one who did good. And Jesus ends with this punchline. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to go and do likewise. Be, be good neighbors to those we come across. We are living in times where people are hurting. They are in pain. But God wants us to go and do likewise, just as the Samaritan did. So go and help a person. Or pray for him, if possible provide any physical support and heal them and that is how we will glorify god and fulfill the second greatest commandment can i hear an amen amen Uh, with this i conclude my nazarite uh, word and i pray that all these three i hope you will remember appetite association and appearance Uh, this is what god wants us to live lives that are holy and uh, remember You are pure. And when you come in contact with someone who is impure, you don't become impure. They become pure. Why? Because we have Jesus to offer them. Hallelujah. And it is Jesus who cleanses lives. We will see more on the how on the 20th. Come, let's pray. Pray for yourself, brothers and sisters. Pray that God will use you to turn around things in people's lives. It will be our prayer. It will be our efforts. It will be the way we reach out to people. That they will say, thank you, Lord, for the seraph who's come. You are like an angel to them, right? And you will offer them life goal, which is Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, that you came to this earth. Father, we thank you for sending your son. You so loved us that you sent your only son so that we may believe in him and have eternal life. Thank you that we may believe in him and not perish. Thank you, Lord Jesus for what you've done for us, Lord. You came in the midst of we who were impure, we who were sinners, Lord. And you died for us. You shed your blood and that purifies us today. We thank you for this good news that we've come to know and understand. Lord, we pray that we will not just rejoice in this good news. We will, but we pray that we will do more, Lord. We will spread this good news with others. Help us, Lord Jesus. Give us opportunities. Even in the coming week, Lord, with friends, family, uh, colleagues, um, strangers, relatives, Lord, we pray, help us to share the good news of Jesus with them, whether they receive it or not a secondary, Lord. But I pray that you would use us as seraphs to take this life call and offer to them that here is an opportunity for them to transform and turn around their messed up sinful lives and live holy and joyful lives in them. We pray this in your precious name, Lord. Use us as instruments for your glory. We pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.